pigs fly. How many of you, since we started this uh, new series, have used that phrase at home? Come on now. Maybe with your kids? Anyone? Your grandkids? Yeah, when pigs fly, this whole moment of this idea of things out of the ordinary happening. Now, the first week when I preached this message, I'm not going to lie, there were some amazing gifts that showed up at my house. And um, I, I, I really want to applaud the person who did it because what happened was I literally came home after the second gathering and I pulled into the driveway and there was this box up by the front door and someone had given me ceramic flying pigs. <laughs> On top of that, they gave me a motorized plastic pig with wings on it that literally moved. And I was like, how did they have that? And then I came to realize these people love pigs themselves. And so the idea of when pigs fly, and then this past week, I went out to the mailbox, and inside the mailbox was another package. And it was a package with a book that said, Pigs Don't Fly. And then there was another game-type thing inside of there, uh, uh, kind of like a pigs fly-type thing. I was like, man, whoever is doing this, that is over the top, and uh, I'm expecting something when I come home today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been fun to be uh, just thinking about this idea of when things happen really around us that we would look at and say, that's impossible. In fact, I think for many of us, we would look at different things that happen around us and we would say, no, that's impossible. Some of you would say, you know, like, there's no way I'll ever get on American Idol. You would say, you know, when pigs fly, that type of moment would happen. And, and maybe your spouse or, or your friends next to you would be like, yep, that's absolutely true. But you could always make it on there and be the one that they always make fun of, right? They always put those people on there that you go, how in the world? Who, who was not honest with this person? And um, those moments begin to happen, but really it is this kind of idea of miracles. See, for many of us in this room today, some of you are literally here and you're listening um, online, or you're here and you're, and you're sitting there thinking in your life, I need a miracle. But it feels a little bit like a pig's fly moment. It feels like it seems so out of left field. It seems like there's just no way that that could ever happen. But, but I'm here to tell you this morning that God is a God who does miracles. That God is not only a God who does miracles for just others, he can do miracles for you as well. You're his son, you're his daughter. And, and when I was growing up, I remember being asked this question on a regular basis. Brian, if there's anything that you could wish for, if there's anything you could ever hope for, and we'd see it on movies, and we'd, we'd hear it in books, and, and, and it was always, if, if there's any one thing you could do, what would it be? And people would say things like peace on earth. People would say things like no poor or no hungry. People would say things like uh, the church being unified. And people would look at that and they would say, that's a when pigs fly moment. How in the world will we ever have peace on earth? How in the world will there never be poor among us? How will there never be those who are hungry among us? And growing up in the church, I would have said, how in the world could there ever be unity in the church? You see, for some of us, we would sit here and we would if you've grown up in the church at all throughout your childhood, you've probably seen different moments where the church was disunified rather than unified. Now, moments when the church is unified, here's what happens. We start taking ground. The enemy starts running in fear. 
But then the enemy always comes in and he sends in like his little spies into the camp. Because he knows the battle is being won when Jesus is at the head and that the church is marching forward and people are in unity and all their talents and gifts are being used together. The enemy knows that when that happens, he's in big trouble. So what he always does is he tries to disunify the people of God. And I'm not talking just here at Bethany. I'm talking about the church overall. Sometimes we, as a church, our biggest competition isn't the world around us. It's the church down the street. And instead of praying and believing for God's blessings to be upon them, what we do is we want to be in competition. We say, oh, my church is better than your church. Well, can I just one thing right off the bat just say this? It's never been your church. It's his church. You're a part of his church. So even here at Bethany, let me tell you, this is not your church. And some of you are like, what? Pastor Brian, it is my church. I grew up here. No, 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 no. It's his church. The problem with the church is when we start thinking it's our church. Because if it's my church, then that means it should be about my, de my desires, my preferences. I want smoothies every single Sunday. I want Bubbles tea, not just at grand opening. I think Bubbles tea should be here every week, and it should be free. Because it's my church. It's my desire. But see, that's where everything goes wrong. Because when it's your church, what happens is, is disunity comes in. Because the enemy comes in and starts saying, see, they didn't do it like how you like it. They didn't say this. They didn't do that. And all of a sudden, disunity comes in because we start thinking it's our church. It's not our church. We are a part of his church. We are the bride of Christ. So we're a part of what he is doing. And the problem has been throughout the years is that when we think about this idea of miracles, I want to focus in really today about this, the miracle of unity. In fact, if you're taking notes, go ahead and write that in there. Just put the miracle of unity. Because here's what I found, is that the miracle of unity seems to be a when, fly, uh, when pigs fly type moment. The miracle of unity actually only can happen when we put Jesus at the center of it all. Yesterday, you heard that we celebrated our grand opening. And here's what I've come to realize throughout that entire process, down the lower level of redoing the kids' area, is this, is that without unity, it would not happen. That if we were not unified together, if there was not somebody who, was, who said, hey, here's the direction, let's go this way. Because everyone had different opinions, everyone thought of different ways, but when we were unified together, we accomplished so much more. 30,000 square feet. And the reality of that space would have never happened without the unity of this church body. In fact, if you gave or you um, volunteered your time in any way, shape, or form. So even if you gave a dollar or even a penny or volunteered any of your time, if you did either of those, would you just real quickly raise your hand? You, you were a part of that. Can we just give all those who have their hands raised right now a big hand? Thank you so much for your investment. You know, I, I was doing a little research on it, and I shared this yesterday, but a brand new build-out of a 30,000-square-foot project at, a, at an average of $150 a square foot, that's if we were building it brand new, would actually be $4.5 million. $4.5 million. But because 
of the sacrifice of people 40 years ago and before who said, I believe that God has amazing things for this church, for this community, and they sacrificially gave. And people mortgaged their homes, literally mortgaged their homes to build this place. People sacrificed of their time, taking time off to, to be here and to be a part of it. That, that 30,000 square feet was built out, and today we don't owe anything on it. And then people came together and they, they said, you know what, what if we began to remodel What if we began to dream some new dreams? And, and it was interesting as we began recognizing that, we, we recognized that an average commercial uh, remodel um, of a space would be around $56 a square foot, which would mean that project downstairs could have cost $1,680,000. Now, some of you are sitting there going, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. Some of you are thinking, that's just, that's just too high, Pastor Brian. You're, you're being way too generous. Okay, let's just cut it in half. $28 a square foot would still have been $840,000. But because of the church's leadership's desire to be good stewards of our resources, we completed the lower level project and grand opened that project yesterday for under $250,000. Which is $9 a square foot. Which is six times cheaper than the average commercial remodel price. That means that if you gave towards that project, your dollar that you give actually gave an investment return of $6. Now, how many of you know if you could invest something and you had a guaranteed return of $6, you go, that's a good investment? Can I just say the lower level has been a good investment, and we thank you for your unifying work of coming together and believing that God would do things. The generosity of God's people has returned a six-fold investment, and think about what we have accomplished together. Now, here's the reality, though. We could not have done it alone. There wasn't one big donor that came in and said, hey, I'll write the check for $250,000. In fact, together we raised a little around $150,000 in that stretch of time, and we are still actually trying to raise a little bit more, but we actually were able to go into our savings and be able to pull out so we could complete that project. But we want to be able to pay back into the savings. So we didn't go get a loan from somewhere. We became the, the bank ourselves and loaned ourselves the money, but we want to pay back in. And even the whole lower level project would not have happened without individuals, you know, who donated of their time. And I think of a few like Craig Spiegel. I know he's here uh, this morning. And he did all of the plans downstairs and, and has been putting the whole building into CAD. And, and I know he doesn't do it for this type of a recognition moment, but, but because of him and that faithfulness. But then, but then it goes to a friend who was actually able to help. And we paid a little bit, but not even the normal rate. Todd Daly, that came connected in there. Then we had painters who came in. And I think of Adam Vogel with Legendary Painting who came in and and donated a ton of the painting down there. And I think about all the other contractors from Concrete Resources to to the carpet on wheels who did all the carpeting to to Brian Kebby with AAA Glass to Quality Painting to Kriegoff to MTC Electric to Johnson Controls. I mean like all these individuals who if we would have said one person's going to take care of it, none of it would have been accomplished. But because we were able to work in unity together, we were able to do something that by the world's standards, people would probably say that's a when pigs fly moment. If you would have asked somebody a while back, could you remodel the entire lower level for $9 a square foot? 
and I'm talking furnishings and all inside of it, they would look at you and go, that's crazy. It's crazy. That's a when pigs fly moment. But when we actually unify together, we accomplish things together that God says, you know what? You've done your part, now let me do mine. And God takes those moments where we come in unity together to bring us to a place where when pigs fly, goes right out the door. Together we created an environment for our kids to love God, to love people, and to love life. And it wouldn't have worked without the unity that's together. So here's what I recognize. I believe the number one thing that the enemy would love to do, because he's freaking out right now, because once momentum begins happening, once God's people start coming into a place of unity, the enemy begins to freak out. So what would the enemy try to do? He would try to bring disunity to the body. And it's confusing because our minds can't make sense of it. We're like, wait a minute, I thought we have momentum. I thought things were going forward. But yet I'm hearing of disunity inside of the body. Can I just say, don't be surprised. Don't be like, oh my goodness. Just be like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. And then choose not to be used by the enemy to bring disunity. That would be a good moment. Talk to your friends. Talk to people that you haven't seen in a while and be like, man, what, what, what's going on? I haven't seen you in a while. Well, you know, there's just this or this or that. Oh, and when it sounds like disunity, try to bring unity to the moment. Because God's heartbeat is for unity. In fact, that's the big idea today, is that God's heartbeat is for unity. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That you and I are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That, that we're to be a place where the peace of God resides. Where in worship there's the peace of God. Where in the message there's the peace of God. Where, where when we're out serving in the community and we're throwing big grand opening parties, that the peace of God is upon us. And that we begin to recognize that it's his church, not our church. And we begin to recognize that his heart beats for unity. But yet unity really has been a problem, not just for the church today. It's been a problem, well, since the beginning of time. Think about this. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were in complete unity with God. Adam and Eve, would, we would believe, would be the first man and first woman that God created and the, the Bible tells us that they walked in complete unity with the Lord every day. They would walk with the Lord. Every provision that they needed was given to them. That they had everything they could ever desire and want. They were in complete unity. And yet, as that complete unity continued to happen, the enemy came in and tried to bring disunity. Now think about even the tactic of the enemy from the beginning. The tactic of the enemy was this, is Man, if you eat of that tree, if you eat of that fruit, you'll be like God. What he was trying to do was to bring disunity to the hearts and lives of Adam and Eve, and it worked. Through their disobedience, sin entered the world, and that sin became the, the moment where the war began to rage for the souls of mankind, where disunity between man and God took place the separation of his sons and daughters from the king the plan in motion from the enemy seemed to have worked but God had a different plan his plan has always been 
to bring about unity between himself and his sons and daughters. Yet choice after choice, we see throughout the scriptures and throughout time and even in history, we see that the sons and daughters of God did what? They, they began to rebel. They began to be disunified rather than in moments of unity. Every time the people of God came together, great things happened. Every time the people of God were split and allowed sin to come in and allowed disunity coming among the camp, what happened? Things fell apart. It's the constant story throughout the scriptures. It's crazy to look at and you go, man, okay, so when they were in unity with God, God blessed them. When they were in disunity with God, God did not bless them. Hmm. Is there a key here? Yes. The key is, is that God has always desired for unity. His love speaks and calls to us in unity. But throughout time, what we've seen is mankind has ignored the call. They've walked away. And yet God keeps speaking to them, and they continue to not listen. And so what we see is from words, things go to silence. God doesn't speak to his people for over 400 years, but he he was silent, and nothing's happening. And then it started around 430 B.C. when God's final words came from Malachi, which displayed both his kindness and his severity. And the words were this, judgment is coming. But for those that believe, it says that the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing on its wings. And that's pretty much it. 400 years of silence. And then it happened. Though the Jewish people had rebuilt the temple, restored the law, all was not well. Man wandered from God and his ways were far from their hearts. Centuries of hardships had been upon them. First they fell to the Greeks, then to the Egyptians, then to the Syrians who persecuted them greatly. The temple was desecrated, tens of thousands of God's people were slaughtered, all the while silence. Where's God? The people cried out. Separation. No unity. You see, on one hand, I would think that those over the years who would drive to God's promises would have recognized what the enemy was doing. He was trying to create disunity between them and the Father. But instead of seeking God, the people of God became deaf and blind, unable to even fathom what was coming. And I wonder in some way if they yearned for the days of old. If there was moments in the silence where they began to say, man, I remember when things used to be like this. And their focus became that of what they had heard from the past or experienced from the past rather than living in the now. They would go back to moments where they would say, man, I remember when God spoke through the prophets and angels and dreams and burning bushes. I wonder if they would look up to the sky and they would plead with God and say, deliver me from this wreckedness that is around me. And, and if you, God, could do it right now, can't you see that we need you? Can't you see that we're longing for a time of unity and yet silence? And what we have to recognize is that in the midst of the silence, it doesn't mean that God's not there. It just means that he's trying to teach us something. I've heard this of the years where people would say this. They would say, I just don't understand right now because God's just not speaking. He's not speaking to me in my prayer time. He's not speaking to me in these moments. 
and we begin to question and we allow that to begin to shake our faith. And can I just tell you, the fact that God is not speaking is not that he is not still there, he's still not involved. It just means he's not saying anything to you in this moment. Sometimes it could be that he's trying to teach you something in the moment that you find yourself in. And I believe that many times he's trying to teach us that his heartbeat is for unity. You see, God has always been at work. Unity. The silence which has been deafening for so long is actually unity at work. God was writing a new law at the same time while simultaneously fulfilling the old law. Its ink would drip in love and its pages would be filled with hope and unity. It's the same message that he's speaking to us today. And the message is actually fulfilled in that of a Savior named Jesus. Paul speaks of this unity that we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you. It's interesting. Paul was addressing the early church and saying to the church in Corinth, listen, The enemy is going to try to bring division among you. The enemy is going to try to take you out of unity with God and unity with one another. But you can have perfectly united mind and thought together in how? In Christ Jesus. The key throughout all of time and the thing that brings the church unified together is when the church recognizes who's their Lord, who's their Savior, who is in control, whose church it is. It's in those moments that the church then goes forward in unity and goes forward in victory because God is looking at them and saying, oh, okay, you get this. You understand whose this is. Let me bless you now. So how does it happen? In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. He says, when anyone is in Christ, it's a whole new world. When I first read that, I was thinking of Aladdin. A whole new world, a new fantastic place to be. And anyways, I just, my mind goes there because I like song. And uh, so I started thinking, you know, what if, what if the church actually recognized that? Because in that moment inside of the movie Aladdin, what happens? Aladdin's like, oh my goodness, I'm no longer a beggar. I'm no longer a thief. There's a whole new world out here. But see, if the enemy can get you to live in your past and can get you to live in that way, then you actually don't see anything that's happening around you. And could it be that sometimes our old thinking, stinking is actually keeping us from experiencing the very thing that Christ has given to you and I, and that's a whole new world. The old things are gone. Suddenly, everything is new. He goes on to say this, all this is from God through Christ. Through Christ. God made peace between himself and us. He brought unity. God gave us the work of bringing people into peace with him. So he actually said, listen, here's here's the job of the church. Here's what you guys are doing. You're to bring peace to others who are around you. I mean that God was in Christ making peace between the world and himself. Goes on to say, in Christ, God did not hold people guilty for their sins. He gave us a message of peace to tell people tell people to to begin looking at people and then he goes on to say so we have been sent to speak for christ it's like god is calling to people through us we speak for christ when we beg you to be at peace 
with God. I mean that God was in Christ making peace between the world and himself. Can I just tell you that's a when pigs fly type moment. What Paul is saying to you and I is you and I have been challenged to live at peace. But I don't know about you, but sometimes there are people who drive me crazy. Come on now, anyone in the house? Some of you rode with that person to church today. They just have moments of driving you crazy, moments where you're frustrated, moments where it's like, man, I don't know how we can be unified together. One of the biggest attacks that the enemy does on a marriage is he tries to bring disunity between two people because he knows that if he can bring disunity in the marriage, then it affects everything. It affects the home. It affects the work. It affects the person's service. It it, it affects the church. I mean, it affects everything. Disunity affects everything. The enemy is not a dummy, but he does have the same stupid tactics that he keeps following. All he does is repackages them a little bit. And we keep falling for it. We keep falling into places of disunity when God is saying, listen, I am bringing you to a place of unity, and it's found in me. Christ Jesus, living inside of you and living inside of me, unifies us together. Will we have difference of opinions? Yes. But are we unified in Christ? Yes. The problem is, is when we allow our differences of opinions to take priority over our unity in Christ. And then all of a sudden, the enemy begins to win. But once again, I remind you, like Ephesians 3.20 says, God can do anything. (laughs) Come on now. Pigs fly moment. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine. You could guess or request beyond your wildest dreams. And he does it not by pushing us around, but by what? His spirit deeply and gently, deeply and gently working within us. I believe God is working inside of our church body. And that when we come to a place of unity, what will happen is, is the enemy not only will run in fear, but we will take ground after ground after ground. And we will not be able to keep the baptismal tank up just once a month. It's going to have to be like every week because people are going to be getting saved. And the altars are going to be filled because people are going to be experiencing Christ. And people are going to be coming in, not going to the hospital first. They're going to be coming to church first because they're going to say, man, you know what? Skip the hospital right now. I'm going to get healed. Because God's people, when they're in a place of unity, actually walk in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit who was given to us as the comforter, as the one who would equip us, the one who would empower us to do the work that God has called us to. We are called to be people of unity. But what many times happens is we approach life And we have these big questions, these big doubts, these big obstacles, these big decisions, these big changes, these big plans, these big requests, these big dreams, these big hearts. And we we allow in those moments for disunity to take us from the place that God has called us to. You and I must focus on the miracle of God's heartbeat. God's heartbeat is for unity. But in many ways it seems like a mystery. Ephesians talks about it that way. Or Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6 says this, the myster- This mystery is that the Gentiles are follow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It, it's a mystery. It's like, how can this even be? That people who are so different can be so unified. I'm very different from my wife. 
Very different. Extremely different. Last night, she's like, we got group tomorrow. We came home. I said, I got to take a nap. And she said, I got to clean. We are different. <laughs> I took a nap. When I woke up from the nap, I helped her with some things. She was cleaning. I went to bed. She was still cleaning, taking care of stuff. She's very different than me. I love that. And we are unified together. And we are in unity together. And we make a great team together. But if she was to allow that moment where she's like, see, there's Brian going and taking a nap, that joker. What's he thinking? Making me do all this work by myself. He's ridiculous. Can't stand it. Then what would happen is, is that whole attitude would put us in a place of disunion. Now, some of you may be sitting there going, that's absolutely right. You are a joker. Why would you go to bed when your wife's out there cleaning? I asked, kind of. She recognized what today is and what has to happen in this moment. Can't be up here all tired and be like, oh. She, so she, she recognized it, but, but the enemy would love when that moment's happening, she's cleaning, she's doing the things around the house because it's been a crazy week trying to get ready for the grand old, all these different things. It'd be really easy for the enemy to come in there and whisper into her ear and say, see, he doesn't even care about you. And for her to allow that disunity to come into her heart and all of a sudden now there's trouble in the house. Now all of a sudden we're not in unity anymore, we're in disunity. Do you see what I'm saying? The enemy loves to trick the church into that happening. Oh, they didn't talk to you today. Oh, it must be that something's not right. Put tension in there. Put tension in the relationships, put tension in the things that are happening around you, and all of a sudden, our choice in that moment, believing either the best in somebody or believing the worst in somebody, many times is what determines whether unity is experienced or disunity. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Do you not know you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Listen, you, you, are, you are God's temple. His spirit dwells inside of you. He goes on to say this in verse 11, a few verses actually before that verse in 16. He says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is in Christ Jesus. In Jesus Christ. The foundation of our hearts and lives is in Jesus Christ. We talked about yesterday at the grand opening that the foundation of our kids' ministry has to be in Christ. It was years ago, 75 years ago, when this church started, it was founded upon a need for kids to be reached in Deerfield Park here in Adrian. They said there's, they, we have to meet that need. And what happened through there is this church was birthed, a move of God began to happen, and now Bethany Assembly right here. God doing amazing things in and through this church. God bringing people from all around the country. Can I tell you that you are loved? Can I remind you of some, some, some things? God has literally brought staff from around the United States to help in the vision and mission of this church. Michael Torres came from Florida to Michigan. Scott and Alyssa and their children, they came from Seattle over here to Michigan. God has brought me from Michigan into Michigan. <laughs> and honestly, I thought I was moving to Colorado or something like that. 
But God said, no, Brian, I'm not done. i got a plan and purpose. I'm calling you to this church. God has been calling people here to Adrian, Michigan. And listen, it's not because we have the best shopping. <laughs> right? It's just not. It's not because we have all the best amenities. It's not because, but you know what we do have? We have amazing people who love God. We have amazing people who are talented and gifted, and God has a plan and purpose. And here's one of the things I think in a, in, in a long roundabout way, I feel like God keeps saying to me, Brian, I'm going to do something in Adrian that's going to blow people's mind away, and no one is going to be able to get credit for it but me. And I'm like, you're right, God. Because <laughs> it, because it doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with, oh, well, the only reason why that church grew, and the only reason why God, you know, had the great move of God over in that area was, was because, oh, they, you know, that was like the up-and-coming area. No. But maybe if God's people began believing that it was the up-and-coming area, businesses and people would start wanting to move to Adrian because they would go, man, we want to be a part of that community. We want to be a part of what God's doing there. I believe that with all of my heart. Three plus years ago when I was on the county courthouse steps, the Lord spoke to me in the morning and said, Brian, I'm bringing you to the city to bring about reconciliation and to bring about restoration to not only the church, but also to the city. And I believe with all my heart that God desires to do that, but it can only happen if we are in unity. If we are not in unity, it will not happen. Because there's not, I'm not talented enough, I'm not gifted enough. You're not talented enough, you're not gifted enough. No one person can accomplish what God is calling us to do. But together, oh, together, with the foundation that's been laid, the things that we can do together are amazing. And what Paul is reminding us, what he's writing throughout the scriptures and throughout the New Testament, he continuously is saying to the early church, listen up, if you're in a place of unity, the gates of hell shall not prevail. If you're in a place of unity, nothing can take you off target. If you're in a place of unity, you will do even greater things. John 6, 38 says, For I have come down from heaven. Jesus is saying, Not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Even Jesus recognized whose church it was. Even Jesus recognized the plan. And he said, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and i will raise him up on the last day what we see right here is god's heartbeat is for unity for us to be unified with the father through jesus and if god's heartbeat is for unity how do we do it you and me you are an ambassador for christ the church is a place of unity that is called to be ambassadors for Christ. You're the highest-ranking diplomats sent to be a representative to the world that's around you. God puts a stamp on you and says, you got this. Your story matters. No one can take that. No one can take your story. You may say, I, I, just, I don't feel like, Pastor Brian, I, I have enough knowledge of the Scriptures. You do have knowledge of your story. And if your life has been changed by Christ, then why not share it with other people around you? You're an ambassador sent by God from heaven to earth. God's heartbeat is for unity. And what we see in his heartbeat is this, is that you are chosen by God. 
You've been chosen by God. God stamped it, chose you. John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You're not only been chosen by God, but being chosen actually sets you apart. Listen, you will always have a dissatisfaction in your life when you've been chosen by God. Because if you don't go after what God has called you to do, there'll always be this dissatisfaction. There'll always be this moment where you're like, man, things just don't seem right. Why? Because you've been chosen, which then sets you apart. Yes, things to be you. You can't go live in the world and go do whatever you want to do and people be, and, and have a satisfaction. No, 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 no. That satisfaction will not be there because you've been chosen. You've been set apart. First Peter 2, 9 says this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Listen, you've been chosen by God. And if God's heartbeat is for unity, the last thing is that we have to recognize is this, is it's not you, but Christ that actually lives in you. It's not because you have it all together. <laughs> it's just simply because of who's living in you. It's not because you're perfect, nor is the church perfect. Why is the church not perfect? Because the church is filled up and made up of you and me. And we're not perfect. But if we have Christ dwelling in us and living in us, and we're constantly at peace, and we're constantly in moments of saying, my heart and life is at peace with the Father. Why? Because you've been chosen. You've been called. You've been equipped. You're a spiritual influencer. You're a spiritual influencer. Christ is dwelling inside of you. And all of eternity together, we will be in a place of unity. So why not get our practice on now? Why not be unified together in Christ? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. God created mankind to beat his heartbeat. Sin tried to destroy it. Tried to bring disunity. But God said, not today. And God began to restore the rhythm. God began to beat down that selfish pride that so many of us allowed to come to the surface. Christ began to make us anew and alive. You see, our world is screaming for unity. Unity of race, unity of religion, unity of preference or orientation, unity of gender. Our world is screaming out for unity. And we wonder why the world is not coming to us when we have the answer. That unity can only be found in Christ. But the reason why the world isn't running to the church and knocking on the doors is because the church is disunified. But when the church is unified, the world begins to go, oh, if they, with different preferences and different ideas and different things, can come together in a place of unity, then maybe I can find unity there. 
And all of a sudden, someone who thought their platform was this or that over here comes in and has an experience with God that changes everything. And they recognize that that place that they thought the unity had to come from is actually only found in Christ, and Christ restores, and Christ brings back. Paul says it this way. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we can also live heartbeat is for unity. My prayer for us today is this, is that the pigs fly moment that would happen is, is we would begin to believe for unity. That we'd put aside our own preferences, our own desires, our own things, and we would begin to say, no, God, would you unify us together? Would you bring us together like only you can? Would you allow us to be a place of unity to where the Spirit of God could continue to beat for the lost. See, we cannot declare to the world around us that Jesus is the answer if disunity is in the house. God is calling us to be unified. If everyone could stand this morning... Yesterday at the end, I closed with this passage of Scripture at the end of the grand opening. It's found in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. It says, Commit your work to the Lord. Your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about the commitment moment and everything that went into the grand opening, thinking about how we had to be unified to do that. And then I started really thinking about if that type of unity is so needed in the physical, then in the spiritual, the unity has to be even stronger. And I believe that God can unify us together spiritually. That's why we're reading the same thing. That's why we find ourselves in Proverbs right now. We're all reading the same thing. And I know people are like, see, that's ridiculous. You're trying to tell me what to do. No, 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 no. I'm trying to unify us together. Because God's word, when we each are ingesting and taking in the same thing, we have a place to be able to pull from together that unifies us together. When we spend time in worship together, it unifies us. When we gather here on Sundays, it gathers, we gather together, it unifies us together. When we're in groups together, it unifies us together. The body of Christ has to be a place of unity. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. I've asked you to stand to your feet here today because... I believe that we are better together 
that God is saying the time is now to rise. The time is now to be unified. The time is now for you and I to be unified together spiritually. So Father, I pray over every person here in this room. God, if there have been things that we've allowed into our hearts to bring about disunity, God, right now we repent. We recognize that that's not been your heart. Your heart has always been to unify us together. God, help us to understand that this is your church, not our church. Help us to understand that way before we were even born, many of us, you had a heart and plan and vision for this community. Before we even existed, you had a heart and plan for this community. So Father, I pray that we would allow our preferences, our desires, our things to be put to the side. God, I pray that as a leader here at this church, God, as a pastor of this church body, I pray, God, that you would allow my heart to be unified with yours. Not Brian's desires, not Brian's dreams. No, God, I want to hear yours. What is it that you have for our community? And God, as we march that out, as we carry that out, I pray that you'll continue to unify people together. I pray, God, that what happened yesterday, the grand opening of that 30,000 square feet, God, it would only be the beginning of what you're desiring to do as your people come together in a place of unity. So spiritually, join our hearts together. Spiritually, do something inside of us. God, if there's any wickedness, if there's anything inside of us that's evil, if there's anything, God, that is displeasing, God, I pray right now that you would remove that from our hearts. Remove that from our minds. God, bring us to a place of unity today, I pray. Because, God, we recognize that your heartbeat is for unity. In Jesus' name, everyone who would agree would say,